This is recording number 10759 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the first message in the Jesus Was 30 Something series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 13, 2008. This message is titled, The Secret Sorrow. the book of Mark, turn to chapter 14. Now, this morning we're going to begin a new series of, of messages. And every time I, uh, I, I launch a new series, I have a, a, a real tough time with um, uh, wondering if I've, I've heard the Lord right and, you know... Uh, what is it? Insecurity, I guess, is what I feel. Um, because I, I really, I, you know, <laughs> people ask me sometimes, so what is it that you do? You know, anyway. Because I figure, you know, they only, a lot of times people only see me on Sunday morning, so they figure that I have a very short work week. And, um, and uh, there's, you know, I learned a long time ago, I've been doing this for a long time, that, you know, there's not any way really, it's like, it's like you and your business and what you do, although I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that what I, that I think of what I'm doing as a business, but it's like what you do with your life. You could never, uh, exp- everybody always thinks that everybody else has it so easy. You know, they're the only ones that, that uh, you know, are struggling or, or working and, Everybody else is just, uh, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? So uh, it's just like you. You, you. you reach a point where you realize you can't, just, you can't justify your existence. You can't explain. They can't walk in your shoes. You can't explain to them what you do. So I just gave that up. So, yeah, that's all I do is I, I work for about an hour on Sunday morning, and that's, that's it. No, but I really do, uh, among all the other things that, that, that go into being a pastor that they never taught me in Bible college, like sweeping the parking lot and things like that, uh, I, I do really take our, my teaching ministry seriously. And I, I spend a lot of time in it. And a lot of time I, I spend just in prayer and asking God for direction about how can I keep before the congregation a diet of the Word of God that is in sync with His plans for us and that is actually uh, scratching where we itch and that kind of thing. And, and you just... Uh, so whenever I come to the start of, of a new uh, teaching series, I always feel just a little bit insecure. And I do today, not only be, for that reason, but for another one. And that's because this is kind of unusual. Well, it, it is very unusual for me. In that... Um, the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking directly to a specific group of people. Now, that doesn't mean, and I'm bef- before I go any further, I want you to know that it doesn't mean I'm leaving everybody else out because the things that we're going to be talking about are, are fairly universal. But I'm going to direct my, uh, the focus of what we do over the next four weeks to people who were born in the time period of 1965 to 1980. Most of the people in our church are in that uh, range of birth dates. Now, it's not, it's not like if you're one side or the other, you know, uh, you're, you're out. Uh, it, it just means that I just feel like there's some things that, that are speci- specific issues 
that people in that age category, which I clearly am not, uh, are, are dealing with and facing. And I believe that the Lord wants to, to address those, those issues. Now, I have children that um, all three of my kids were born in that time frame. And so even uh, some of us who are a little on the other side of that age uh, group might find some things, hear some things that will help us to be able to better um, serve our kids or at least better understand them. So that's my goal. And the title of this series of messages is Jesus Was 30-something. People who study this kind of stuff and, and, and more specifically marketers have long ago described this group of people roughly born between 1965 and 1980 as Generation X. And um, so you're going to hear me refer to that some over the next few weeks, Generation X. But, but really, um, that name was sort of drawn out of the... I'll talk to a little bit about, about where that came from. But that, not, uh, that uh, moniker, that name sort of was made up in a way by, by marketers who were, who were looking for a group of people to target their marketing towards, uh, but still it'll serve us some purpose to identify who we're talking about. But as a boomer, a baby boomer, uh, looking uh, at the issues that, that Xers are dealing with and facing, I, I want to just make the disclaimer that I don't live the stuff that you live through. And so I'm sort of on the outside looking in, but still... As a pastor who cares about people and cares about you, I want to do a good job of serving the needs that you have. And so I've been trying to, to become a, a, a good student of the culture of Generation X. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about four issues having to do, uh, that I think are particularly faced by people of that generation. We're going to be talking about the secret sorrow today. And we're going to be talking about the search for significance, the missing mentors, and the hunger for home. So today, the secret sorrow. Mark chapter 14. Let's begin reading at verse 32. This is Jesus after the... the uh, Last, what's known as the Last Supper, when Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples in the upper room prior, just prior to um, his suffering and crucifixion and resurrection, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is what happens there. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell out on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will do, or excuse me, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. 
And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being, be being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, Jim, you could turn this down a little bit. It's, it's still ringing a little bit. Now, Generation X, um, that's probably a little too much there. <laughs> Generation X was born, like I already said, between, uh, roughly between 1965 and 1980. And as I said, that name, Generation X, was sort of pulled out of the hat by marketers looking for the next group of people that could target their ads to. And X was chosen because they couldn't quite figure out how to define this generation. In fact, the French equivalent, because in, in France they, they, they do the same thing. In France, the French equivalent means generation whatever. Um, for, for those of us outside of Generation X, we think of you guys as, you know, slackers. Uh, we think of grunge rock like Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam, TV sitcoms like Friends like we saw, movies like The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Reality Bites. That's our idea. Um, but there are some... Uh, whether or not this demographic was created by the media, created by marketers, nonetheless... There is clearly a group of people sandwiched in this huge bubble of humanity called the baby boomers and the, and the generation that follows, sometimes known as Generation Y, that is also a big, uh, a large demographic. Sandwiched in between there is a, a relatively small group of people with unique needs that Jesus, um, his life and ministry addresses and one of those is depression now one of the reasons and it's it's uh, a uh, it's a fact that depression is uh, rampant among people of that age group and one of the or there's several reasons for it part of it is that there's an uncertainty about the about a, a, a generational identity. Um, we self, uh, self-centered self boomers have drawn so much attention to ourselves over the course of our lifetime. We've had s- such a large number, a mass of people that we have, we have drawn, all, sucked all the oxygen out of the room. We've been drawing attention to us all through the stages of our life. In fact, even now that all of us are old and crotchety, we still draw all the attention to ourselves. Just notice how many uh, uh, pharmaceutical ads are on television these days to treat all of our ailments. Retirement funds and you know, all that stuff. So we keep... But the problem is that if you, if you have been coming along in that shadow, you don't have a clear sense of gener- generational identity. Where, where do I belong? What, do I, you know, what identifies me? Generation X was also the product of, quote, quote, new families. Boomers moved from, from one-income um, households to both spouses changing career, or ch- chasing after careers 
Uh, and we did that at the expense of our kids. And we substituted quality time for quantity time. And so the term latchkey kids was coined for Generation X. And so um, many a part of that generation, many who are a part of that generation, found themselves sort of left alone. Now, their parents were pouring money into their activities and their life and stuff, but there wasn't the involvement, the direct connection with mom and dad that they longed for. And so there's an isolation component to this depression. Besides that, baby boomers divorced and are still divorcing at a rate higher than ever before in all of history. And so... um, Generation X grew up, for the most part, for the most part, in broken homes. Not to mention the financial challenges that that they faced. You know, for the first time, um, credit was offered so easily everywhere. Marketers were on college campuses trying to give credit away to, to students. And um, so students found themselves, um, uh, our young, young adults in that uh, generation found themselves saddled with debt. I mean, major debt at a very early age, not to mention the fact that student loans were larger or greater than uh, previous generations. Um, they, because of the nature of the current economy, Uh, The internet boom and the following bust affected Generation X more than any other group. And uh, also, as a a result of of that, they've been playing because the, the fallout of the internet bust affected them so much. They've been playing catch up with their careers. You've been playing catch up with your careers. Um, In fact, household incomes among those 35 and younger uh, fell by 14% in the aftermath of the the internet bubble between 2000 and 2002. That group of people uh, in that age group were most affected by that. They have also been the ones most affected by the housing bubble and the subprime mortgage mass. And because there's such a large number of uh, boomers at the, at the top of the um, uh, earning um, scales, clogging up the advancement for younger workers because we're occupying all the places, uh, all the uh, management and higher positions in companies, um, extras can't seem to... F- they find themselves unable to break through in terms of advancement in their careers as easily as previous generations did. And so careers have stalled just at the point in their lives when um, their expenses are, are booming because of, uh, especially because of children, the potential of, of uh, college tuition and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of pressures, a lot of reasons why Generation X has uh, found itself particularly vulnerable to depression. And I want to have us look at this passage that describes a period of time that Jesus went through 
of darkness and how he dealt with it. And I want for us to be able to see here a path out of depression. But let's, let's define our terms a bit. Depression is the persistent feeling of sadness, apathy, despair, anger, anxiety, emptiness, hopelessness, or helplessness. And the key word is persistent. Every one of us have times when we, I mean, all of us have times when we uh, feel this kind of stuff and go through the blues and whatnot. But it's the persistent, the hanging in there quality of these things that... Uh, characterizes depression. Now, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to even bring up the subject of depression if I didn't do, uh, give you something a little more in-depth about the symptoms and signs of depression. So I'm going to pass these out. If you guys can, I'm not going to address them or talk about them, but if you just take one and pass it along. <clears throat> but to me, a better definition, this is the one I use for depression is the collision of dreams and reality. When my dreams, whether I'm, you know, whatever generation I'm a part of, when, I, when my dreams collide with my reality, that crash, that uh, explosion, uh, the aftermath of that is uh, often depression. But Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And we're going to talk today about the good word contained in the word that can uh, transform a life from, uh, from a state of depression into a state of, of joy and peace. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this passage that we've read where is that Jesus um, is in a, a, um, a serious state of um, darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this through before because it seems, I'm going to just warn you, it seems at first almost not right. That you shouldn't think these kinds of things about Jesus. But here it is, right in the Bible. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Now, you and I will never face what Jesus was facing in that garden. He was looking down the road at the cross. Not only the physical suffering that was involved in all of that, but more importantly, he knew he was going to become sin for us. That the sin of all mankind was going to be placed on him. And that the Heavenly Father, with whom he had never for all of time been separated Our sin upon him was going to cause a break. From the cross, Jesus said, My God, why have you forsaken me? That alone is incomprehensible from our point of view. What was involved in that, the, the prospect of that happening in the relationship between the Son and the Father? 
But Jesus saw that coming, and that's part of what he's dealing with here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't want to say, I don't want to make this more than it is, I don't want to say that Jesus was suicidal, but the Bible doesn't waste words. And when Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. He's expressing something that almost everybody in this room understands. The times when the darkness is closing in on your life so much so that you wonder what, if it's worth it even going on. Now, you don't have to be suicidal to have those kinds of thoughts cross your mind. We don't admit that to one another very often, but, you know, if I got you alone and asked you, have you ever had that kind of thought pass through your, your mind or your heart? Chances are most everyone here would say yes. Jesus is right there. My soul, my, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And then, he, and then he asked them, stay here and watch with me. The first thing I want you to see that Jesus does in this time of darkness is that he admits it. He admits it. Now, one of the things about Generation X is that uh, you, uh, you guys have commonly shared so many of these um, risk factors for depression that the assumption is, well, this is just normal life. Everybody comes from the product of a broken home. Everybody looks down the road to their future and sees no, uh, no pathway to progress. That's just life. That's, we all, you know, that's just normal. And so it's often that Generation X does not seek help with regard to depression. But I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus does is he admits it. He admits it. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He admits it to himself as well as to those that are, that are there with him. The second thing I want you to see is that he seeks the help of others. Stay here while I pray. He says, stay here and watch. He's inviting them to stand with him. He's not, you know, he's not asking them to give him advice He's just asking them to be with him, to walk this thing through with him, to support him, to, to hang in there with him. And when you're going through a dark place, isn't that what you need the most from other people? Jesus reaches out to his closest disciples, um, Peter, James, and John. He says, look, I'm going through a really hard time here. Will you hang with me? Just be with me? I keep falling asleep on the job, but he three times he comes, can you please just hang with me? Stay with me? Pray with me? And one of the things about dealing with depression is exposing it to the light. First admitting it and then saying, look, would you stand with me in this? I'm not going to go off in the corner and hide away, which is the tendency. That's what people want to do when they're feeling depressed. That's what... That's what the adversary wants for people to do is go off in the corner and hide away. 
But Jesus doesn't do that. He admits it and he invites people to stand, to stand with him, to hang with him, to help him. And then the third, he wrestles it through with God. I, this is the most in, incredible encounter uh, or a prayer, I guess, that we, in, to me, this is the most incredible prayer that we get to listen into in all of the Bible. We get to listen in on this prayer between the Son of God and the Heavenly Father. And Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. And I love Mark's version of it here, Mark's um, record or recording of this. Because it's not like we often think that Jesus just, you know, has this absolutely altruistic um, motivation there where he says, yes, not my will, yours. Now that's coming. We're going to talk about that. Not my will, yours. But here he says, you can do anything, Father. Take this away from me. You can do anything, Stop this from happening. Step in. Do something. Change things. Why are you allowing this to happen? You can do anything. I love this because I've prayed that prayer. Golly, I've prayed that prayer. But it's right and it's important to just... Get your, the, the, the feelings of your soul, this darkness that's, you know, trying to capture you and enshroud you to break that open by just spilling your guts before God. And Jesus wrestles us through. In another one of the gospel accounts, it says that he, he sweat as though it were great drops of blood. We don't know if that's, you know... Uh, if that was what was actually happening, that somehow capillaries were bursting and he was, you know, sweating drops of blood, or if it was just a, a way of trying to describe the intensity of the moment, we're not sure. But something heavy and and uh, powerful and passionate was going on between the Son of God and His Father. He was pouring his soul out before God. <clears throat> I don't want to say that I don't believe in... in um, or let, let me put it this way. There are many people who are greatly helped by medical professionals, by uh, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, by psychotherapists with regard to depression. And I applaud their efforts. And any time anybody can get help from any source for this kind of stuff, I'm all for it. But you're not going to hear me talk today about medications or about that kind of stuff because that is certainly not my, my arena of expertise. But I know this works. If I can get with God and for however long it takes, pour my heart out to Him. Get that internal turmoil and all the poison that has seeped into my soul from whatever source out before God then the next thing can happen which is where all of this turns and that is where Jesus says nevertheless not what I will 
but what you will. And the final of these four things that I am presenting to you today that we see in the life of Jesus that addresses this need of, of depression faced by so many people, not the least of which is those who are a part of Generation X. The fourth of these things is surrender your dreams to his plans. Because remember I told you that for me, my working definition of depression is when my dreams clash or collide with my reality. That's what sends me into depression. This, this collision, the mess of the, uh, you know, the crash. But part of the reason why that is so is because I hold on to my dreams of how life ought to be. And I just keep holding on to them and holding on to them and holding on to them. Never mind what God might have in mind. But when I have wrestled through this with God, the end place is that I come to, to this, the place where I, if I'm going to go on, I need to let go. I need to let go of those dreams that I refuse to let go of. But here's the reason why that's so hard. Because we think that if I let go of my dreams, if I surrender them, if I trade my dreams for God's will, his will is not going to be as good as my dreams. Now, isn't that what we think? Isn't that what we think? That's why we don't let them go. Because God certainly doesn't have anything good in mind for me. I mean, think about this. Jesus is trading his dreams for the cross. That doesn't sound so good to me. And we always figure, well, if I surrender the will of God, that means I'm, I'm, I'm going to something not so good. I told you last week about my father-in-law who... If, and my first attempt to try to win his, uh, his approval of my marrying his daughter told me no because he assumed that, actually I guess it was two weeks ago I said this, that he, he, uh, he envisioned anybody who was spent their life in ministry as living in a, you know, a, a dirt floored, uh, thatch roofed hut without shoes. And his mind is, well, if you surrender to the call of God, well, it's not going to be very good. At least not materially or financially. And we always think when we come to these collisions of our dreams and our reality that if I let my dream go, what God has in mind for me is going to be like, oh, well, it's not going to be that good. But you know what? Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. That means that the God who loves you more than you will ever know has plans for you that are exceedingly abundantly beyond and above anything you could ever dream up for yourself. Trading your dreams for his plans is not stepping down. <laughs> it's not settling for less. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the cross was not a pleasant experience by any stretch of the imagination. But what it wrought, all of us are sitting here. 
because Jesus traded his dreams for the will of God. It has brought immeasurable, incalculable healing and wholeness and and, uh, mercy and grace and love to countless millions of people over the last 2,000 years and has secured an eternal destiny for all who will follow him. For the joy that was set before him. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I don't know what it, if, if you're a person who, is, who has at times found yourself struggling with depression, even more so if you're a person right now that's going through a period of the blues, and, it, and you just can't seem to shake it. And some of those um, um, symptoms that are on that sheet of paper I passed out earlier ring true for you. There's a pers- persistent quality to some of those things in your life. It may just be that you need to walk this path that Jesus walked in the Garden of Gethsemane. Admit it to yourself. This is not just normal. This is not just you look for help from other people and, and people that you trust I'm not, you don't just walk down the street today find somebody on the corner and say hey I'm going through a real tough time uh, I could use your help That's, I don't advise that but somebody you trust someone near into your, in your life bring them into your confidence don't struggle don't fight this thing through alone But then wrestle it through with God. Pour your, find a way. Holler and scream if you need to. Kick and, and, and pound your fists on the floor. I've done that. Get it out. Wrestle it through with God. Because then you'll find yourself at that place where you have a choice to make, a clear choice to make. Okay. Am I going to continue to hold on to what I think I want, what, would, what I think would be best for me, or am I going to be willing to trust God with his plans for my life? I want to encourage you, trust God with his plans for your life. Surrender your dreams for his plans. Because 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 6 through 7 say this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, listen. You can stand up. I'm, I'm, I'm done. You cannot cast your cares on someone who doesn't care for you. Because this stuff is important to you. This is your life. These are the things that matter to you. You can't just, just, just you know, toss them away. These are too important, too precious to you. And if you imagine that you have a God in heaven, or maybe you imagine there is no God in heaven... 
And if that's the case, dear one, you are totally hopeless. But I have to believe that you're here today because you have at least crossed the boundary uh, that separates those who are uh, in, you know, doubting whether there even is a God to a place where you're wondering if there might be. And if, and if you are on that side of, the, of that de, uh, line of demarcation and you're at least wondering if there might be a God in heaven... Don't imagine that that God in heaven is so distant, so disconnected from you, so other than you are, that he has no understanding of your life or of your cares. Because if you do, you cannot trust him. If that's who he is, you cannot trust him with your cares. It's like meeting that person on the street corner and saying, hey, I'm really going through a struggle. So what? They don't care. But that is not God. The Bible says He cares for you. And because that's true, you can cast your cares on Him. You can humble yourself under His mighty hand. You can surrender your dreams for His plans. And you know, I can tell you from personal experience that when I, make, when I make my way down this path of admitting to myself and to others that I'm struggling, going through a dark time, I invite others to stand with me as friends in prayer and help support me. I wrestle it through with God, and then I let go. Depression cannot hold me. It cannot hold me. And it's my prayer this morning that any of you who may be struggling with this or know people who are, that the Lord Jesus would meet you personally or enable you to minister to someone else. Because this is not, this is not a trivial matter. There is a whole generation of people for whom this is a daily struggle. What we need is God.